This is Wahid Jensen, and you are listening to Away Beyond the Rainbow. And welcome back to Away Beyond the Rainbow, this podcast series dedicated to Muslims experiencing same-sex attractions who want to live life true to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and Islam. I'm your host, Wahid Jensen, and thank you for joining us in part two on self-discipline. And joining me today again is my dear friend, Adam. So as you guys remember, in the last episode, we spoke about, um, you know, self-discipline, motivation, willpower, and self-control as well as uh, practical tips on how to, you know, cultivate self-discipline in our lives. And in today's episode, the focus is going to be on building habits, as well as some techniques related to time management, overcoming procrastination, and building your morning routine. A very important book in the art of habit building, a very brilliant read, is Atomic Habits by James Clear. And we'll add the book in the episode description for you guys who haven't read it. We definitely recommend you check this book out because it is amazing, very practical, and very helpful. And we'll be discussing a lot of the themes presented in the book in today's episode, inshallah. So James Clear, in his book, he talks about the importance of building habits on a daily basis and being consistent with them. And um, and I'm quoting him. He says, your outcomes are a lagging measure of your habits. Your net worth is a lagging measure of your financial habits. Your weight is a lagging measure of your eating habits. Your knowledge is a lagging measure of your learning habits. Your clutter is a lagging measure of your cleaning habits. You get what you repeat. End quote. In other words, it's not about a sudden transformation in your life where things start to change, but rather the result of daily habits over time that eventually result in a change, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we are what we repeatedly do over time, as simple as that. And he defines an atomic habit as a little habit that is part of a larger system. Just as atoms are the building blocks of molecules, atomic habits are the building blocks of remarkable results. And he argues that if we get 1% better every day for one year, we will end up 37 times better by the time that we are done, right? But if we get worse by 1% every day for a year, we'll go down to nearly zero. And I'm quoting him again, He says, habits are the compound interest of self-improvement. You know, it takes time to build habits, but the more that we work on improving ourselves and building habits, we're going to end up achieving them, inshallah. And this is basically what we've been talking about in the past episode where we we presented different models on self-discipline and said that an overarching theme is the idea of consistency and having structure and persisting and going at it day by day and showing up and doing the work on a daily basis, even though you don't feel like doing that. 
It takes time to build habits, which is why a lot of people can be disappointed at the beginning and give up because it takes time and takes patience and you don't necessarily see the results at the beginning, right? And a lot of us favor instant gratification over delayed gratification. And again, we've spoken about this in the previous episode. When we want to change, we often set goals, right? Priorities, aspirations, strategies, and our thinking as a result often becomes more goal-oriented rather than process-oriented. You know, we think about looking a certain way, we think about getting, making a particular amount of money, getting a particular position, achieving a particular goal, we become very goal-focused. And this kind of thinking comes with many challenges. You know, we ignore the process, we focus only on the outcome, we lose sight of the systems and the habits that we put in to get there. And once we achieve that goal, you know, we celebrate for a little bit, we get that ecstasy, that high, and then we feel deflated because, okay, what now? We're going to move on to another goal. And this is very, very common. And, you know, the recommendation is to actually be more process-oriented, which I find to be more Islamically oriented as well, because at the end of the day, you know, we aspire to achieve particular goals, but what is within our hands is the process, not the goal itself, right? Because we never know what Allah has preordained for us, whether we achieve that goal or not. But what matters is the journey, not the destination. You know, we orient ourselves to a particular destination, but what matters is the journey itself, right? And so um, James Clear basically argues that everyone wants to reach a specific goal, but those who actually achieve that goal are the ones who focus on the process and they improve themselves continuously in line with that goal. So for example, if you focus on your diet and exercise habits, you will get the body that you aim to get, right? If you focus on your financial habits and your financial patterns, you will be able to buy the things that you want to buy in the future or go on that vacation that you've always dreamt of and so on, you know. Goal-oriented thinking on its own restricts happiness to achieving that particular goal because I'm only happy if I achieve that goal. And many people stop improving once they achieve that goal, right? But being process-oriented means that you're being in the here and the now, you're focusing on the process, you're learning and you're enjoying the process, even though sometimes you won't enjoy that. But the idea is is to be to take it day by day, hour by hour, and to be present in what you do rather than focusing entirely on the end result. Right? And as James Clear also says, you do not rise to the level of your goals, you fall to the level of your systems, which means the systems and the habits that you put in to get to those goals. So this is one thing to keep in mind. Yeah. So con- considering all that, James Clear proposes a process oriented thinking and building habits through focusing on one's identity. And he says, there are three layers of behavior change, a change in your outcomes, a change in your processes, or a change in your identity. Outcomes are about what you get. So processes are about what you do, and identity is about what you believe. And he says, with outcome-based habits, the focus is on what you want to achieve. With identity-based habits, the focus is on who you wish to become, which I think is a very profound distinction absolutely yeah Yeah. And, and he goes on to say the ultimate form of intrinsic motivation is when a habit becomes part of your identity and he continues the most effective way to change your habits is to focus not on what you want to achieve but on who you wish to become and ask yourself who is the type of person that could get the outcome that i want and he keeps going by saying your identity emerges out of your habits. 
Every action is a vote for the type of person you wish to become. And by identity, he means think of the person that you want to become. And he goes on to say, it is a simple two-step process. Decide the type of person you want to be. Prove it to yourself with small wins. And I love this because I think we talked about this very briefly in the last episode about proving and generating evidence in your life for the uh, fact that you can be someone who is self-disciplined, et cetera, et cetera. Right. And this, this just uh, confirms that. Uh, and yeah, making it part of our identity, the thing that we want to become is so profound. I, I, I resonate with that quite a lot. Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. So just to uh, expand on this and to clarify this distinction a little bit more, um, if we take the example of running, for example, so we say, hey, you know, we don't want to run 15 minutes per day, but we want to become a runner. So being a runner is the identity. Right. Running is just an act that you do and you might pick up and leave it whenever you feel like. Mm-hmm. We, want, uh, we want not to read X pages per day, but to become a reader. We want to not. We, we don't want to quit smoking, but to become a non-smoker. And there's subtle differences that alter the way that we think and approach our habits when we when we make this switch in the way that we approach this. Exactly. Yeah. And it's the first time that I actually the first time that I actually got exposed to this shift in paradigm from his book because it really makes a big difference. Mm-hmm. Um, and and actually, it, it it is the focus of being process oriented because once it becomes part of how you perceive yourself. It just changes the whole thing. It's like part of me, you know, this is who I am. Yep. Um, and it really empowers you to keep moving forward. I, I just love that, subhanAllah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Exactly. And then, you know, once your identity is in check, your processes, habits, and outcomes will follow. So he says, if you're having trouble determining how to rate a particular habit, ask yourself, does this behavior help me become the type of person I wish to be? Does this habit cast a vote? for or against my desired identity lovely yeah. excellent way of assessing it mm-hmm. and you know make sure you have strong reasons why you want to be a certain person and develop particular processes around that these will help you keep these will help keep you motivated uh, in pursuing the process and perfecting your process and refining the process right and, and we've spoken about this uh, as you guys remember in the previous episode when we talked about motivation and how to um, increase motivation through having really profound reasons why you want mm-hmm. to become the person you want to be or achieve the particular goals that you want absolutely yeah taking in mind what we have spoken about before we talk about forming habits or changing habits we also need to become aware of our behaviors And as he says in the book, the process of behavior change always starts with awareness. You need to be aware of your habits before you can change them, Mm -hmm. right? And he talks about this this idea of pointing and calling, uh, which raises your level of awareness from a non-conscious habit to a more conscious level by verbalizing your actions. So, what, what he's basically saying is that we need to be aware of the things that we do without even realizing them by kind of verbalizing them and pointing at them and calling them by what they are. Mm. So, for example, when you're hungry, say out loud that you're hungry, right? When you're bored, say to yourself that you are bored, right? Some people might look in the mirror and actually verbalize their cravings to bring their habits into awareness. Um, when you're craving something, 
verbalize the fact that you're craving that particular thing or that particular habit or behavior or whatever it is because it kind of brings it to your conscious awareness as opposed to it being in your subconscious or at the un- you know non-conscious level another way to kind of bring awareness to your habits is what he calls the habits scorecard which is a simple exercise that you can use to become more aware of your behavior you know you just write down your habits on a daily basis what you eat where you like to eat you know, how you spend your time, what is your morning routine like, what is your evening routine like, what are the things that you always do on a daily basis, what are the things that are occasional, etc. Just to kind of be aware of the habits that take over your life. And a lot of people listening right now might be like, well, what is the point of this? Honestly, actually doing these exercises brings a lot of awareness into our lives that about our habits and our behaviors that we may not have had before. It really makes a big difference because a lot of us, again, we spend our lives on autopilot without realizing what we're doing and how we got to where we are. And so it just brings, um, yeah, it's a paradigm shift when we start realizing that we do certain things and they take a huge chunk of our time or they are there, but we don't know how we develop them. So it's very important to kind of be aware of all of that. Mm -hmm. Having said that, we need to talk about the four stages of habit formation in general before we talk about how to use this, how to use this model into building our habits. So any habit that we form in life has to go through four stages. Mm -hmm. The cue, the craving, the response, and the reward. All right. So for example, if I am working on a presentation or a task for my job, okay, and I'm getting bored, right? This is my cue. Me getting bored is a cue, right? My body is sending me a signal that it's bored. This is the cue, right? What is going to happen as a result? There's going to be a craving, which is I'm going to feel the need to entertain myself because I'm bored. So there's this craving inside of me that, okay, I need to do something. Right? right? And as a result, there is the response that comes after that. So if I want to entertain myself, what's the response? I'm going to check my phone on social media, for example, or I'm going to text my friend, right? That's the response. Hmm. And then after that is the reward, which is the feeling of dopamine, that dopamine rush and the excitement that comes after that, right? Anything in your life, you can actually scale it down to those four things. There's a cue, there's a craving, there's a response, and there's a reward, Right? We've been doing this for so long that it has become a habit every time that we find ourselves bored, for example. Anytime that I'm feeling bored, I'm going to feel the need to entertain myself by checking social media and getting that dopamine rush. And it becomes ingrained in my neural pathways because I've done it for a very long period of time. And hence, it has become a habit, right? Mm -hmm. Now, keeping this in mind, also when we want to build positive habits, we have to educate ourselves and actually train ourselves to use these four stages, right? Which he calls the four laws of behavior change, right? They're a simple set of rules we can use to build better habits. And they are make it obvious in terms of the cue, make it attractive in terms of the craving, make it easy in terms of the response, and make it satisfying in terms of the reward, Mm -hmm. right? So let's start with the first one, to make it obvious with regards to the cue. You know, if you want to build a particular habit, make it obvious that you're working on it. You know, put it on your on your calendar, add phone notifications to remind you, make specific and measurable tiny goals to help you. We've spoken in the previous episode about smart goals, S-M-A-R-T. 
you know, have those, make those goals to help you achieve that. So for example, let's say you want to become more physically active, right? Mm -hmm. That is, that is, you want to reach a habit of becoming more physically active to have that goal. You will sign up to the gym. You will dedicate it. You will dedicate time every week to go to the gym. You will commit to an hour every, let's say you will commit an hour every three days per week and, and devote time for that without exceptions. Right? So you, this is the goal and the strategies that you will achieve so yeah so you just make it obvious and you have all of these things in your mind and all of these things that you're committed to and what can actually help you do that is what he calls habit stacking so he says one of the best ways to build a new habit is to identify a current habit that you are that you already do each day and then stack your new behavior on top right so stack the habit of going to the gym for example on top of commuting from work or school you could say that okay when i'm going back home instead of going back directly to my house i will go to the gym instead right Mm -hmm. or maybe you want to develop this new habit of flossing your teeth so you would stack it on top of the old habit of already brushing your teeth Mm -hmm. how does this help because you've already had particular habits established in your life that you can rely on you can just stack the new habit that you want to achieve on top of the old one which kind of gives you a push gives you motivation to actually do it becomes easier to do it right so this is part of making it obvious you know kind of making it obvious to you that okay i want to do it it can be achievable, right? Another way to to actually add to that habit stacking is to choose a particular time and location, which is known as an implementation formula. You know, you will tell yourself that you will do this particular habit at a specific time at a specific location. You know, I will do this in this time and in that location where you make it obvious to yourself that, okay, when this happens in that particular time, in that particular location, I will do that. So basically the whole idea is just to make it obvious, to make those cues stand out so that you can initiate that habit, you know, and to make the cues of good habits obvious in your environment as much as you can. You know, some people are very visual, so they would use, you know, cue cards, they would put like post-it notes all over, whatever works for you, notifications on your phone, uh, reminders from friends, whatever it is, this is part of making it obvious so that, you know, you can add it to your environment. It becomes easy to initiate that habit. Yeah. So this is a number one, which is making it obvious as far as the cue is concerned. Right. Right. And, and number two is make it attractive. So the craving element or the second stage is the craving mm-hmm. is to make it attractive. So if a habit is not attractive, attractive enough, so at the beginning of habit formation in particular, there won't be enough motivation and if you remember, the motivation is the why, the why of why we are doing something. Right. So if, for example, going to the gym feels like punishment, you won't, you won't bother doing it. Mm-hmm. And a strategy to handle this is through something called temptation bundling. So similar to uh, like stacking, but it's, it, it is, um, is one way to make your habits more attractive. The strategy is to pair an action you want to do with an action that you need to do. Right. So where you say you'd watch your favorite show only after you completed your workout or maybe have your favorite um, healthy snack after that. Um, so, you know, or, for example, cleaning your room whilst you're listening to your favorite music and so on and so on. So, you know, the, the thinking is, is that, you know, I only get to do X after I do Y and it makes it easier to get stuff done. And it's a very simple way of, of building habits. Exactly. So you do, you pair something that you want to do with something that you need to do. 
Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, it makes it more fun and enjoyable. And you get to do the thing that you want to do eventually. Right, yeah. exactly, yeah. And, and James Clear says, uh, and I quote, habits are a dopamine-driven feedback loop. When dopamine rises, so does our motivation to act. And he goes on to say, it is the anticipation of a reward, not the fulfillment of it, that gets us to take action. Yes. The greater the anticipation, the greater the dopamine spike. So if you think about it, we, we have, if we make the environment enjoyable and, and we seek help from you know our support system or accountability partners that we might have to help us, it can it can make this a, a much more uh, enjoyable process. Right. And he goes on to say, one of the most effective things you can do to build better habits is to join a culture where one, your desired behavior is a normal behavior, and two, you already have something in common with the group. Right. And he goes on, the normal behavior of the tribe often overpowers the desired behavior of the individual. Most days, we'd rather be wrong with the crowd than be right by ourselves and this is interesting because normally we would say not to follow the crowd and to be mm-hmm. you know courageous and stand out mm-hmm. but if we reverse it and we put benefit in actually being like people who are around us because perhaps they are more disciplined than we are or they are more skilled in the thing that we're trying to achieve then it actually would work in our advantage right. to be in that situation because here you're choosing the people that can help you achieve yes. what you want to achieve right exactly yeah. yeah exactly and this is so powerful subhanallah i can't emphasize enough sure. the people that are around you will either pull you up or bring you down mm-hmm. and you know subhanallah i have wonderful people in my life who constantly just with their own lives and things that they're aiming for it always inspires me oh thank you that's so sweet (laughs) (laughs) and mr wahid jensen happens to be one of those of course i mean goes without saying yeah um so it's it's, joking (laughs) (laughs) it goes without saying you know it's so these you know it's so important it's it's yeah it's so powerful and very helpful as well as long as it's not done from a place as long as you don't fall into comparison and you know start to beat yourself up because someone else is doing something that you're not you want to do as long as we don't fall into that trap then it's a very um, rewarding and powerful uh, structure to have in your life for sure Um, and you know he james goes on to say if a behavior can get us approval respect and praise we find it attractive so you know often we most more often than not we say not to run after people's approval <laughs> respect and praise but if we reverse engineer it and then be actually doing it for something that's that we want to achieve that is good for us that's healthy for us that's in alignment with our values and and the things that we want to achieve then you know it could be a, a powerful tool for us to to leverage the the, the built sort of default wiring of humans exactly uh, in a productive way absolutely yeah so that's as far as the first two stages there's the cue we make it obvious and then we make it attractive as far as the craving so to make the habit more obvious and more attractive and the third one which addresses the response is we make it easy right Mm -hmm. to quote james he says human behavior follows the law of least effort we will naturally gravitate toward the option that requires the least amount of work 
right? <laughs> you know, in the previous episode, we talked about the idea of taking the stairs, that metaphor, which is to kind of push your boundaries a little further, where you kind of exert yourself, this kind of voluntary hardship. But when we are in the process of building habits at the beginning, we will gravitate to the things that are easier, right? Mm -hmm. Towards the things that take less energy and less effort. So for example, if I want to build up, to build the habit of going to the gym regularly, to become more physically fit and build muscles, etc., If I'm going to go to the gym uh, during rush hour traffic, spend time finding a parking, which is difficult to do, and then stand in a long line to get inside, this is not going to help me commit to going to the gym, right? And my mind is always going to see this as a very daunting task and I will give up, right? So the idea is to make it easy as much as possible. Remove as many steps and hurdles as possible, right? Create an environment where doing the right thing is as easy as as possible yeah right yep. so for example if i have this uh, i want to develop this habit of running in the morning right to go for a jog how can i make it easy i can lay out my workout clothes and all of my all of the necessities the night before right and so in the morning all i have to do is to get up and go right mm -hmm. and another thing to make it easy is to not set very high goals at the beginning, which ends up becoming very demoralizing. Yeah. Set the expectation to run for two minutes instead of 20 minutes at the beginning. Two minutes, you know? Yep. Um, people say, well, what the hell, you know, it's not going to be worth it. Well, commit to that. And then once you've committed to that and you have trained your body to do those two minutes every day, then you can increase that. The idea is just to become better 1% every day. That's the whole point. Mm -hmm. You know, if you want to start meditating, don't meditate for 10 minutes at the beginning. Stick to two minutes or three minutes. If you want to become a writer, commit to 300 or 500 words per day as opposed to a thousand words or more you know, and so on and so forth, right? Yeah. And there's a nice quote from, from the book. He says, walk slowly, but never backward. Yeah, yeah. And that really makes a big difference, right? As long as you're walking slowly and not backwards, that is what matters. You know, set the goals low enough to set yourself up for success so you can overcome the hurdles and to be on track. And the idea is, as he says, reduce the friction that is associated with good behaviors. Reduce as much friction associated with the good behaviors as possible. When the friction is low, habits are easy, mm -hmm. right? So we want to make it easy for you to kind of build that habit. Yeah. And if you, like you mentioned the running example of running for two minutes and sometimes people are like, well, what's the point of that? It's just two minutes. Well, actually there's a big point to that because if you go out and you're running for two minutes and you realize two minutes are up, you're already out, you're already running and you realize I could probably keep going. And more than likely it is that you probably will keep going because two minutes is just a waste of time. <laughs> Yeah. So you don't want to waste your time. So you're out already. You probably develop a sweat. Right. You're probably breathing hard. So you'll go for longer. So that's that's why setting goals uh, at, uh, to such a level that is impossible or almost impossible for you to fail at them is so important at the beginning because it's all about just proving to yourself that you can actually commit and do it. Mm -hmm. And then if it's so basic. Once you start doing it, you will yourself immediately, somewhere within a couple of days, a week, you'll realize this is too easy. I'm becoming bored. And if you remember, like boredom will keep you away from um, sustaining a habit. So what do you do? Introduce a challenge. Right. You introduce more challenge. So instead of doing it for, let's say, two minutes, you'll be doing it for 10 minutes now because that's more challenging. I mean, that's a big jump, but I'm just saying <laughs> you'll set something, you'll set the bar higher. Uh, And I've done this with working out. I started with like 
uh, very easy sessions and then it got really easy and I thought I'm getting bored now and then I then I, I sought out a diff, more difficult one and then that kept it interesting so it works this stuff works it's just for sure you just have to start and Absolutely. you before you know it you're someone who exercises regularly and you can talk about it um confidently and mm-hmm. you recognize yourself as being someone who exercises so mm-hmm. yeah and I think that takes us on nicely to the next stage which is the fourth one which is make the reward satisfying so uh, James Clear says we are more likely to repeat our behavior when the experience is satisfying you know we should use things that will reinforce uh, our behaviors he goes on to say the human brain evolved to prioritize immediate rewards over delayed rewards which we've talked about before right and he says the cardinal rule of behavior change what is immediately rewarded is repeated what is immediately punished is avoided to get a habit to stick you need to feel immediately successful even if it's a small way so this goes back to that two minute thing once you've done two minutes you've achieved success you've achieved the success you've achieved your goal you can celebrate that but then mm-hmm. once you get once because it's once you get used to that level you will then want to keep going more and more and more and then the rewards just keep stacking up you feel better about yourself it becomes your baseline the baseline for you is i can do this i know i can do this right i am this is not difficult for me because i've built up the discipline to do it and that is so rewarding for sure so so rewarding um so yeah we use initially short-term rewards to give us boosts but also delayed gratification to help you with self-discipline so they both go hand in hand mm-hmm. you know we're tracking our habits so that we can visually see our progress so you know apps exist for all manner of things and charts uh, they will help reinforce our actions as well as our identity as someone who's healthy capable of making proper uh, decisions that are good for us so whether they're financial or physical uh, or or any other uh, type of decision mm-hmm. um, and james goes on to say habit trackers and other visual forms of measurement can t- make your habits satisfying by providing clear evidence of your progress right. don't break the chain try to keep your habit streak alive and this is very important as well uh, you, clearly there's loads of fitness things out there you know there's Fitbit and all manner of other uh, apps and devices mm-hmm. but the streak thing is so important and I, I've, I've always struggled with that the one thing that I use and I heard this on a podcast um, if, I, if I use this for exercise um, I will not go two days two straight days no longer than two straight days without exercising uh, when it gets to the third day I have to do it and the two days allows for, like, say, if you're traveling yes. or other things, yeah. I will yeah. not go. And I, it's, it's such a ingrained in me now. If I get to the third day and I'm not like, and I'm like, I need to do it. Is there's just no, there's no two ways about it. Um, sure. But it's it's nice to have the leeway because life is unpredictable. Things happen. You know, you can't always um, predict uh, things that might stop you. So, yes, sure. the streak is important. Um, and there's so many different habit trackers out there. You can use paper calendars or journal method. And we have a link that we'll include in the episode description um, to mm-hmm. the journal method. And there's other apps like uh, Habitica and Habit Bull and Strides. Look at all these funny names. <laughs> we, will add, we will add links to all these um, apps in the episode description for you guys to check out and them. Yeah. 
Uh, and then uh, James goes on to talk about the streak. He says, never miss twice. If you miss one day, try to get back on track as quickly as possible. And just because you can measure something doesn't mean it's the most important thing, which I love. I use that quote for, I've heard that before, and uh, it's it's quite important um, as well. So, yeah. For sure. Yeah. Because it puts things in perspective eventually. Yep. I mean, you can use it, you can use it to track how you're doing, but ultimately just because you can measure it doesn't mean it's the most important thing. So exactly, exactly. hundred percent. So anyway, the, just as a recap, the four, um, laws of behavior change anyway, to, uh, so once again, to make it obvious, to make it attractive, to make it easy and to make, and to make the reward satisfying. The first three of those increase the odds that a behavior will be performed this time, you know, to make it obvious, attractive, and easy. Mm -hmm. They increase the odds that a behavior will be performed this time. And the fourth law, which is to make it satisfying, increases the odds that a behavior will be repeated next time, as he says. So for sustainability in the future. Now, this is as far as building positive habits in your life. What about quitting and overcoming bad habits in your life? We reverse the rules, right? Mm-hmm. To make it obvious, we reverse it into making it invisible. The The second one is to make it attractive. Well, we make it non-attractive. The third one is easy. Well, make it difficult. And the fourth one is to make the reward satisfying. We make it unsatisfying. Yeah, so the first one about uh, making it invisible or not obvious, um, James says, people with high self-control tend to spend less time in tempting situations. It's easier to avoid a temptation than it is to resist it. Absolutely. And this is so, so true, subhanAllah. And, you know, we see this within our deen. Right. Um, Allah says not to uh, go near certain things mm-hmm. um, because just by virtue of going near it, even, you know, indirectly to something that might lead to that a, a certain action. And in my mind, I'm thinking right now about uh, things like fornication in particular where Allah is very very clear about this he says not to go near it and he means it in the total sense like don't even go near a thing that would lead you to it subhanAllah and I think it's a really powerful principle especially if you're trying to build habits in on other places right absolutely um, or get rid of bad habits in this context um, and, and he goes on to say you know one of the most practical ways to eliminate a bad habit is to reduce exposure to the cue that causes it so we talk, remember we talked about cues and um you know we if we can if we want to uh, build a habit we would obviously like we would take the cue and we would we would uh, act upon it in this case we want to reduce the exposure that we would have to that cue or we often call it a trigger for example so right yeah, and he goes on to say self-control is a short-term strategy, not a long-term one. So you might be able to resist for a while, uh, but it's not something that you could can sustain. For sure, and and so this this kind of it, it applies to everything. So if you're trying to quit sugar, then you know it's not to have it at your home and resist the urge to eat sugar, but rather don't even have it, mm. or don't go to the bakery or whatever it is. Just avoid it altogether. For example, yep. this is just an example. If you're trying to quit a particular behavior, then don't go to places which promote this kind of behavior right right as opposed to being in that place and resisting the urge to engage in it for example and the same applies to everything so just to kind of make it not obvious and avoid that thing altogether um is very important yeah 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 absolutely the the second one here is about being uh, about making it not attractive so whatever habit that might be and he, he says in regards to this increase the friction associated with bad behaviors when friction is high, habits are difficult. Right. 
and uh, we would do the opposite for things that we want to make habits like we just talked about we want to make it as easy as possible to do so just make it really set the bar low etc before this for removing bad habits we want to make we want to put the bar high mm-hmm. we want to make it really high and difficult so that it feels too much so we'd be like oh can't be bothered with it right. and it goes on to say highlight the benefits of avoiding a bad habit to make it seem unattractive habits are attractive when we associate them with positive feelings and unattractive when we associate with them negative feelings Create a motivation ritual by doing something you enjoy immediately before a bad, sorry, before a difficult habit. Exactly. So, so for example, if you're trying to quit smoking, um, and how can you make it not attractive? So, a lot of people, and we spoke about this previously, they engage engage in awareness and mindfulness, and just by being aware of the habit itself, they realize how disgusting smoking is. Mm-hmm. Because they're using their five senses, you know, the smell, the taste of it, the touch of it is just how 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 harmful it is. You know, how can we make it not attractive by f- doing the research into, you know, the detrimental effects of smoking by talking to, um, you know, people who smoked for so long and are dealing with a myriad of diseases by by being, you know, by associating smoking with something that is uh, painful for us or disgusting, you know, and to kind of motivate ourselves um, and reminding ourselves of how unattractive and how harmful that habit is for us before engaging in that particular habit or by just kind of thinking about the future, how it would be like when we engage in that habit, what is going to follow? Like, oh my God, I'm going to go back down that rabbit hole of, this this and that so kind of just using that to make it unattractive and this is just one example yeah yeah absolutely and then what follows from that the third step uh, is to make the thing difficult the bad habit difficult so when we were talking about good habits or things we want to uh, habituate we talked about making it easy setting the bar low the opposite is true in this case where we want to get rid of a bad habit we would make it difficult for us to do so like you know you were mentioning there before about um, sugar for example mm-hmm. don't just just do not have it at home it's just for for you to have it you would have to go out and go to a shop etc it, it causes more friction in that in the process of achieving or taking sugar right. uh, or if for example somebody has uh, challenges with um, certain um, apps mm-hmm. you know uh, hookup apps etc there's ways of um there's there's i know that there's like other uh, uh, apps and things well first you could get rid of it from your phone and then you can um blocking apps, uh, other yeah. blocking apps exactly mm-hmm. yeah that's what i'm trying yeah. to say you can use blocking apps that notify somebody else if you try and download it or actually you know so all of these types of techniques you would use to make it more difficult right. for you to engage in that thing mm-hmm. And then the fourth uh, stage is unsatisfying. So where we before with good habits or things we want to habituate, we would have a reward. We make it satisfying. On this, in this case, we would we would do the opposite. Mm-hmm. And in this context, James says we are less likely to repeat a bad habit if it is painful or unsatisfying. Right. An accountability partner can create an immediate cost to inaction. We care deeply about what others think of us, and we do not want others to have a lesser opinion of us. Right. And he goes on to say, a habit contract can be used to add a social cost to any behavior. It makes the costs of violating your promises public and painful. And he says, knowing that someone else is watching you can be a powerful motivator. And um, this is true. This is this can be, this is uh, you know really, this this can help lots of people um, to stay away from things. 
that they're trying to get rid of, having other people engage in that process as well, uh, it can be very powerful in helping um, keep away from or embed good behaviours, depending on obviously what uh, what you're trying to do. And I, I've used an app before, actually, which uh, encourages if you make a commitment to do something or not to do something, that you would then tell other people about it mm-hmm. and that they would follow up with you on it. And it's they, in the app they said that this increases the likelihood of you following through by, I can't remember how much percent. So there's science, I guess, behind um, some of these uh, these uh, techniques. For sure, yeah, 100%. So, uh, and just with re- regards to the habit contract that you mentioned, it's basically, yeah. uh, it's like either a verbal or written agreement where you kind of state your commitment to a particular habit. Oh, yeah. And the, pu- and the punishment that will occur if you don't follow through. And it's not just between you and yourself, uh, but also with an accountability partner who can hold you accountable. You know, if you uh, commit to that particular habit, then that's great. If you don't, then there has to be a sort of a punishment. Um, and some people would, you know, they they would, if, if they want to commit all the way, they're like, if I, if that accountability partner finds me, uh, you know, not holding my part of the agreement, then they would like publicly humiliate me but but not in a way that you know is is kind of scandalizing but rather like posting on social media for example that oh you know this person did so and so well this is an extreme example but this this is something that you know this is part of a habit contract that you may agree to like okay the first time that i um that i don't commit to that thing that i'm I'm supposed to commit to then i could be like there could be a, a sort of a punishment but then the next time that i don't do it then maybe that person is going to post something very ridiculous about me on social media, which is going to make me very, very embarrassed. That's an example of, you know, the, the punishments that are incurred, but it depends on you and the accountability partner, whatever works for you. Like I know a lot of people that punishments won't work in that way with them, but rather having rewards and positive reinforcements, it depends on what, what works for you. But yeah. the idea is to kind of have an accountability partner to help you stay focused and stay on track. And if that it works for you, then having a habit contract would add uh, an, an element of or a layer of social costs to just make sure that okay there's going to be consequences if i don't stay true to the contract that i've made basically towards the the end the idea is just to have these habits right and as james says habit formation is the process by which a behavior becomes progressively more automatic through repetition so the whole idea is just to repeat it and keep on practicing and repeating it more and more and more and more with time so it becomes ingrained in you and it becomes part of your daily routine right and he says the amount of time you have been performing a habit is not as important as the number of times you have performed it right it's not the amount of time but rather the number of times it has to do with the frequency so it's more about practicing 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 and doing it over and over and over again Mm -hmm. right and the whole idea is you know as as adam was saying what matters is to commit to those habits before perfecting them because people are like oh why do we need to commit to two minutes when we can commit to 10 minutes for example jogging per day or 30 minutes well the idea is to establish those habits and then you can improve them exactly right that's why we start small and then we fix a particular time for them and we commit to establishing those habits and then once these are part and parcel of our schedule and we have 
been used to them, then we can start improving on them. And he talks about the two-minute rule, which says that when you start a new habit, it should take less than two minutes to do mm -hmm. that particular habit. You know, you build foundations, you show up before you dive deep into the habit and you start to master it or optimize it. And he says the more you ritualize the beginning of a process, the more likely it becomes that you can slip into the state of deep focus that is required to do great things. Mm -hmm. So that is the whole idea behind it, to build those foundations. To standardize before you optimize. Right. You can't improve a habit that doesn't exist. Right? right? And finally, many habits occur at decisive moments. Choices are like a fork in the road and either send you in the direction of a productive day or an unproductive one. And this kind of reinforces the idea that we always have a choice. And we've spoken about this in length in the previous episode where we said that we are at a crossroad sometimes where we have to say, okay, I it's either the monkey mind or the monk mind, you know, the, the yeah. adult or the child. I have to be either the adult or the child at this moment. Either I'm going to choose instant gratification or delayed gratification. Mm -hmm. So it's very important to realize that in everything, when it comes to building habits, we do have a choice. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, this might, you know, this poses a question, like how long does it take to form a habit? Like how long does that, do I have to keep it up? you know do is there anything that can provide guidance and there there is this 2190 rule which basically states that there, it takes 21 days to form a habit mm -hmm. it takes 66 days to ingrain a habit and 90 days to form as part of your lifestyle or our lifestyle right. so of course there's many factors that come into play here and it can be different between different people but i think just generally if you if you even use as a rough sort of you know area or benchmark it will give you a good sense of how long you need to, to stay consistent at something for it to become a part of your your lifestyle right i think what's also important is you when you go through that process of habituating something new you'll probably start to feel when things shift mm -hmm. so you might start and it's difficult and you don't feel necessarily you don't feel the benefits i, I will say that about exercise when i first did it or started to do it as a habit I didn't I didn't feel all that great about it. It just took me a while to appreciate it. Mm -hmm. And then I think it took maybe a couple of weeks, maybe two weeks or two or three weeks, which would make sense um, according to this. Mm -hmm. But um, it, you just don't expect it to be easy at the beginning or to make you feel great at the beginning. Because remember, feelings are not our guide here. It's we you're using our rational mind to just keep moving forward. Right. And so once you have established your habits, it's important to keep the Goldilocks rule, quote unquote, in mind to stay motivated at work or in your studies and just in life in general. And the Goldilocks rule is this. The Goldilocks rule states that humans experience peak motivation when working on tasks that are right on the edge of their current abilities. And in, psych, uh, in psychology research, this is known as the Yerkes-Dodson law, which describes an optimal level of arousal as the midpoint between boredom and anxiety and I can and I think we mentioned this a little bit earlier like when things get too easy uh, we, we lose that motivation or motivation decreases right so this this obviously is highlighting the fact that we need to be on the right edge of where we are at the moment and making it challenging enough for us to just stay engaged and interested but not too challenging to the point that, oh my God, what is happening? I'm going to give yeah. up because I can't do this anymore. Exactly. Right. Exactly. We don't want to be heading backwards. Remember, we keep moving forward slowly, right. never backwards. Right. Mm -hmm. So, 
Yeah, so again, meaning that it's not too easy where we get bored. So playing for basketball games against a five-year-old, for example, and not too difficult where we end up failing. So playing basketball with a professional player who beats you every time. <laughs> right. But rather somewhere in the middle, yeah. Yeah, yeah, somewhere in the middle, yeah. And then once you've mastered certain things, you up your game to the next level to keep to keep you motivated and keep revising and progressing. And to gain motivation, you constantly push your performance to that midpoint between, you know, the the, the point of where uh, we are bored and anxious. So we never we're never bored, but we're also not anxious. We're somewhere in between that. Uh, and uh, James says. The greatest threat to success is not failure, but boredom. As habits become routine, they become less interesting and less satisfying. We get bored. Mm -hmm. Anyone can work hard when they feel motivated. It's the ability to keep going when work is not exciting that makes the difference. Professionals stick to the schedule. Amateurs let life get in the way. And this is, again, just summarizes everything that we've just talked about. Absolutely. For sure. And then finally, uh, we review our progress as we go along and we have others help us by giving us feedback. And that's very important. You know, this whole process of reflection and review allows us to remain conscious of our performance over time, right? We said there are habit trackers that we can use. Also being conscious of the feedback that we receive from others in our support group, people who care about us, we care about them to kind of help evaluate our performance. You know, what we aim for is not perfection, but rather a positive trajectory, a positive trend. As long as we're improving constantly, then that's what matters, right? We're never going to achieve perfection, and that's not what we're looking for. And then after a year, for example, you look back and you ask yourself, you know, what went well this year? What didn't go so well? What did I learn? Um, And... You know, after a while, after six months, you can conduct an integrity report and ask yourself about the core values that drive your life and your work, how you are living and how you are working with integrity Mm. right now and how you can set high standards in the future. And we talked about integrity in the previous episode and we said it's it's part and parcel of self-discipline. It's very important in our life and obviously as as Muslims, as people who are righteous believers, inshallah, integrity is... A, you know, a core value that we have. Yeah. So it's definitely important. So to recap everything that we said, there are 20 main points um, to building habits inspired by Atomic Habits by James Clear. Adam and I are going to take turns reading five at a time. The most important points, the take-home messages are, number one, focus on habits and systems instead of setting goals. You know, become more process-oriented rather than goal-oriented. Number two, the most effective way to change your habits is to change your identity, you know, to to make this part of who you are, right? We talked about this, Mm -hmm. Um, considering yourself a runner rather than running for 15 minutes every day, that's your goal, or a writer instead of I'm going to write a page and so on. Use the four laws of behavior change to build better habits. And those laws are, as we said, make it obvious, make it attractive, make it easy, and then make the reward satisfying. Number four is verbalize or write down your bad habits so you can raise awareness to change them. Number five is start a new habit by using an implementation formula. And by that, it means specifying a particular time and a particular location. I will do this in that time and in that location. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And number six is make the cues of good habits obvious in your environment. Number seven is spend less time in environments with temptations. Eight, 
make a new habit easier to adopt by doing it immediately after an existing habit. Nine, hang around people where your desired behavior is their normal behavior. Ten, remind yourself of the negatives of a bad habit to make it less attractive. Number 11 is building a habit takes a lot of effort in the beginning. Number 12 is create an environment where doing good habits are easy and bad habits are hard. Number 13, make new habits take less than two minutes to do. And again, these are for new habits. Number 14, automate your habits. And number 15, reward yourself for doing a habit. Yep. And 16, never miss a habit twice in a row. 17, get an accountability partner. 18, choose the habits that best suit you. 19, do your habits such that it isn't too easy or too hard. And finally, 20, constantly reflect and review for errors in your behavior. Now we're going to move on and talk about procrastination and managing distractions, something that I'm sure all of us have struggled with at one point or the other, or might we might struggle with just now. Yep. The number one enemy of self-discipline is procrastination. And the number one reason we procrastinate is self-criticism. Mm -hmm. The voice that says, I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. Why even bother? And, you know, I'm sure we're all familiar with this. Oh, yes. We can break procrastination down into three types. Uh, and this helps us identify, I think, you know, we're what's most common for us. Although I think we probably experience some of uh, these at different times. So the, the first is classic procrastination. Um, so this is consciously doing something that I know I have to do. And a good example is paying bills. <laughs> and, you know, this can often be due to an, a feeling of anxiety or having a far away deadline that you just take it easy. Or maybe because you're just, you know, painfully perfectionistic and afraid of failing that you don't even bother starting the, the task that you have to do. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the next one is creative avoidance. So this is, to explain it, is subconsciously creating things that you do and feel productive doing instead of doing what you actually have to be doing and you avoid what you should be doing or need to do. Mm -hmm. So example would be if you're uh, managing people in your job, uh, you know, confronting an employee, for example, or you know, maybe you don't like going to the dentist, so you, 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 know, you would avoid doing that. Um, or working out, uh, etc. Uh, you know, you, your brain rewards you with dopamine when you accomplish uh, the the tasks. So you get addicted to doing things, but they're not actually the things that you should be doing. Mm -hmm. And you know, this is uh, this is incredibly deceiving. I think this this procrastination, this type of procrastination, because you can feel like, oh well, I did so much, but well, did you actually do the priority activities? Exactly. Yeah. You know, so I think this is one to watch for, and I I can identify with it. And then the last one is priority dilution. So this is something that uh, typically chronic overachievers experience. So it's not about being lazy or distracted, but rather your attention is shifted to less significant but more urgent tasks during the day. Mm -hmm. So, for example, the higher you excel in an organization, the more opportunities and distractions you get and the more diluted your priorities become. So it's about having too many things vying for your attention right. and um, not uh, focusing in on on what is priority or what you've defined as your priorities for sure 
Yeah. And obviously, I mean, if you look up procrastination, there are different types and people categorize them in so many different ways, mm. but the ultimate result is the same, yeah. that you are delaying certain, delaying the, the things that you should be doing, yeah. right? And there are so many different reasons why people do that. And we also spoke about procrastination, as you guys remember, in the episodes on complex trauma, yeah. because a lot of times there is an emotional component that is tied to procrastination. There might be a fear of failure, there might be a fear of success, there might be a fear of being judged, there might be anxiety, there might be shame associated with it, and so on, yeah. right? So getting professional help may be needed to help you deal with your procrastination if there's an emotional element uh, tied to it. So that's one thing to think about as well. Um, and it becomes a vicious cycle, as we know. You know, you're not progressing in the direction that you want to progress. And, and thinking about this makes you anxious. And what do you do as a result? A lot of us, when we get anxious because we're not progressing, we avoid working on the things that we should be working on. And then the project becomes late or we are way past the deadline and we're wasting time. So we become anxious and it becomes a vicious cycle that fuels itself, right? Mm -hmm. Now, what about the ultra performers, you know, the top 1% who get things done right? So they do things differently, and to them, success and greatness depends on the significance of the tasks and not their quantity. It's not about filling your schedule with tasks, but rather how meaningful these tasks are. They get themselves to do the things that they don't feel like doing, but they know that they should be doing. Again, the whole definition of self-discipline that we talked about and the take the stairs metaphor from Rory Vaden, right? It's very easy to gravitate towards the path of least resistance and, you know, the most comfort, the, the path of, you know, the one that's easier, the one that's more comfortable to take the stairs and not the escalator is actually the, the tougher choice. Um, and that involves discipline and discipline is the antidote to procrastination. Mm -hmm. And the whole idea is that those ultra performers or top performers, they train their brains to, to process and think about things differently. You know, they know it's hard, but I have to do it anyway. And I will do it anyway. And they end up doing it anyway, right? Mm -hmm. So the antidote to procrastination is discipline, which means doing the things that you should be doing, even if you don't feel like doing that. The question here is, if there is an emotional element that is tied to your procrastination, how do we overcome that? We start with the PAW method that we spoke about in the previous episode, which is the pause, awareness, and then willpower. So we encourage you to go back to the previous episode to check it out. But basically, it says to, to utilize conscious awareness exercises to pause, take a breath, uh, be aware of where you are, be aware of your emotions, be aware of what you're feeling, your choices, your goals, and then cultivate the willpower to push through even though you don't feel like doing what you're doing. Mm -hmm. And then there are uh, three things that we would like to talk about, which is to decrease the pain of action, to increase the pain of inaction, and to embrace the pain to do the things that we are supposed to do. Yeah, so if we start with the first one, which is to de decrease the pain of action, you know, we, this is where we would try and enjoy the thing that we're doing if it's possible to do that. Right. So a good way to, to try and do this is to break it down into baby steps, is to take the least steps needed for you to stop procrastination. So what's the minimal amount of things that you must do in order for you to move out of the state of procrastination? So if the next step is still too big, then you need to break it down further. And those small steps 
that you do can become small wins. So for example, you know, I know someone who gets very demoralized because he has to write long articles mm. and it just becomes um, very daunting. And so the idea is to, to write a sentence, you know, can you do that? Right. That's a baby step. Can you start with a sentence or a paragraph? If a paragraph is daunting, then start with a sentence and then just do that. And then start with the second sentence after that. Those are the baby steps that we're talking about. Yeah, 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 exactly. And then once, you know, once you start to do that and you build the momentum, it becomes much easier to keep on track. And remember, don't be idealistic here or perfectionistic. Just aim to be better than yesterday. And especially if something is, uh, you know, if procrastination, there's, uh, you know, strong emotions associated. This is so, so, so important. And to be honest, like ultimately, when it comes to being productive, uh, it's known that when if you take a big task and you break it down into smaller chunks and you focus on delivering those smaller things, you can actually get that thing done faster than if you tackle it in, in the larger uh, chunks, right. uh, as in, in larger amount bodies of work. For sure. We, we know this uh, through science and there's many methodologies, uh, ways of working that have been developed off the back of that. Mm-hmm. So if anyone's interested, you can look up Agile and yeah, it's, you'll, you'll find this um, theory in amongst there. Uh, the, the second thing that you can do is to increase the pain of inaction. So, you know, when the pain of inaction becomes unbearable, you start to take action. So a good example of this would be not working on an assignment that you have from work might leave you unemployed. For example, that's high stakes. Or it might, or if you don't do something, it will continue making you feel unfulfilled uh, or uh, irrelevant in your field um, or perhaps you know not ending a toxic relationship will mean more uh, emotional and mental damage uh, and not being available for for other things that are better for you so you know uh, sometimes we might sometimes this might just be actually taking a realistic look at what the cost of inaction is mm-hmm. and, and and laying it out for us and if perhaps we are, are too close and don't have perspective someone else can come in and help right and give us uh, an outside uh, perspective on what that would be. Right. In any case, you can ask yourself and think about the following. What pain am I falling into by avoiding this? What is the decision doing to my future self? What are the hidden costs of inaction? Uh, and w- with this decision to procrastinate, am I training myself to succeed or to fail? Is re- these are really good questions that you could use on your own to reflect on and, and then um realize and become aware of the consequences uh, of, of doing or rather not doing what you what you need to do right. and then the last one is to embrace the pain to just do it regardless of the fact that it feels painful so to push through with all of your might and force uh, and to use mindfulness to accept the pain and to make it less bearable so this talks back to the the roar technique that we that we touched on in the last episode right yeah which is basically to recognize uh, your emotions or whatever you're feeling, mm-hmm. to observe it in your body, where it is and what it represents, to accept it as it is without judging or rejecting it, and then to release it with yeah. with every breath. Yeah, yeah, exactly. When we talk about pleasures and distractions, we're really talking about quick and easy dopamine hits that are rewarding, but end up depleting us and taking us away from our goals you know, but it boils down again to this idea of instant gratification versus delayed gratification. Mm-hmm. 
Self-discipline is not about removing all sources of pleasure or instant gratification from your life, but rather prioritizing the most important things in your life and making the pursuit of pleasure to be secondary. So there's a very important distinction there. It's not about getting rid of everything that has an instant gratification attached to it. Some things might be perfectly okay and they don't actually like spoil or keep you away from your objectives and goals. And that's, that's, that's totally fine. But it's those other things that are having some type of impact on your life that you don't really want. Uh, that's those are the things that we we need to be aware of. The the author Giovanni Dinsman uh, in his book Mindful Self Discipline says it's about having islands of pleasure in a sea of meaning, and not islands of meaning in a sea of pleasure. Instant gratification should be a treat or reward, not our default. And, you know, we, we indulge in them consciously and, of course, keeping in mind what is halal, but not compulsively. Uh, and he goes on to say, it should be something that enhances our well-being and not something that attempts to cover up an underlying emptiness. Again, you know, as I said before, if it's harmless, then it's harmless. But we, we need to be very honest about what is harmless and what's harmful to us. Right. And Stephen Covey, in his book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, he gives a very nice analogy. Uh, Probably you guys have heard of it before, or if you've read the book, you're familiar with it. Imagine your life uh, like a jar, and next to it you have rocks and pebbles and sand, and then some people say water too. The rocks, they represent the meaningful goals and the higher values that you have in your life, so they represent your long-term fulfillment and the steps that you take to achieve them. The pebbles, they're important, but they're not critical. So they are minor goals. They're urgent, but not essential. They are external values like money, status, validation, and so on. So these are the pebbles. And then the sand represents the pleasure or, you know, the favorite pastimes that you have, or maybe being busy and so on. Now, if you fill your jar first with sand or pebbles, there will be no place left for the rocks, which are your meaningful goals and your values in in life. But if you first put in all the rocks, and then the pebbles, and then the sand, there is space for everything. And then for people who use water also in that analogy, water represents the time wasters, right? Um, So so you can also add water on top of that, uh, which can fill up to a certain level. Now, how do we apply all of these concepts in our lives? There is the Pareto principle, which is the 80-20 rule that probably you've heard of before, uh, which says dedicate 80% of your available time and your money and energy to doing the things that advance your highest values and goals, and 20% in pleasures and distractions. And now, if you're ambitious, you can make it 90-10, which means 90% of your time and money and energy to the things that are of you know that advance your highest values and goals and 10% for your pleasures and distractions but you know I'll start with the 80/20 right and we'll revisit the 80/20 rule when we talk about you know the another aspect of it a little bit um, further in this episode keeping this in mind how do we deal with distractions in our lives so we talked about the PAW technique which is again the pause awareness and willpower technique so this is very important to help you kind of reorient yourself and be in the present moment 
And then another important thing to be able to deal with distractions is what is known as a dopamine detox. And we'll add some videos for you in the episode description to check them out. Basically, what it means is to go into monk mode, quote unquote, on on distractions and temptations, right? To cut the sources of distractions and all the junk and to keep them at a bare minimum if it's related to like family or work or things that you have to be in touch with you keep it at a bare minimum but all other forms of distractions you just cut them out you know so for example comfort food apps and emails gaming social media internet browsing news entertainment any sorts of emotional addiction like gossiping and and drama and whatever you just take that out of your life and So you basically, what happens is that you cultivate the hunger and the urges, but you don't satisfy them. And instead you focus on your goals and the aspirations that you have. And you begin to evaluate how all of these outlets that you have given up are affecting your life. And then you make conscious decisions on how much time you really want to spend on them. By dopamine detox, we don't mean like you're forever cutting out all of these things from your life. It can be like for a couple of days, it can be a week, or it can be like a two week retreat. Uh, This is something that people do. They go into like monk week, for example, at a specific time in the year. It can be alone, it can be with others in retreats, you know. That is basically what dopamine detox is all about. And remember, if, if you realize that there are certain things that you want to completely remove from your life, because they're so detrimental to your progress, then remember, quitting cold turkey is easier than actually do than actually tapering it and like gradually removing it from your life. It's better to actually quit cold turkey as far as that is concerned. But this is one thing to take into account. Yeah, and and you know another thing that we can do is to actually procrastinate the distraction itself. Mm-hmm. So it's not to procrastinate doing the meaningful but uncomfortable things, but rather procrastinate the trivial yet comforting things. So when there's an urge to indulge in a distraction, we procrastinate it, we put it off, we don't do it. Uh, we practice the the paw method that we talked about before. Uh, and we keep focused on the work that we're doing and we leave the distraction for later. So we postpone it for a while to give, give, give ourselves a reward for when we're done or practice self-control uh, if doing it is harmful to you. So, in, you know, hence the delay f- doing it for good. Mm-hmm. So actually telling your mind, not now but later, is less stressful in the mind and much more helpful than saying no or never. It works better, it quiets the cravings, and you end up wanting and consuming less in the long run. Indeed, yeah. So in Alcoholics Anonymous, uh, they say, uh, I will not drink today versus I will never drink again. And, you know, there's a, 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 dis- a, a big distinction in that, whereas we're focusing on today and not thinking about forever. Right. So we're, we're avoiding causing this huge surge of stress and, and worry about, oh my goodness, how will I sustain that? Whereas we just focus on what's in front of us, what's in what's happening now and being present to today. Right. Yeah. Uh, another thing that we can do is use commitment devices. So uh, deleting apps from our phones or blocking them for a period of time. Uh, and there's, uh, there's apps that actually I use to do this and some phones actually come with the inbuilt capability now to do that mm-hmm. they have digital well-being uh, tools uh, now um, or you know paying for a gym membership or course subscription mm-hmm. and not having junk food at home all the time having accountability partners and you know thinking about the financial consequences and finally it's important to talk about time management there are many books and resources to help you manage your time and we'll add a couple of helpful books in the episode description to help you plan your day and prioritize. 
Yeah, and inshallah we'll we'll add them in the episode description. But just a couple of things to to um, address in this episode. So one very important principle is the difference between urgency and importance. And this is also taken from Stephen Covey's book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And this is the principle called first things first. Um, so imagine a two by two box, so a box made of four squares. And then, you know, each box represents whether something is... Um, you know, urgent and important. This is in one box. The second box is urgent, but not important. The third one is not urgent, but important. And the fourth one is not not urgent and not important. So it depends on whether it's urgent and important. Yes, no to each one. So the ones that are urgent and important, the things in your life that are urgent and important, these represents the facts of life. You know, that you need to organize them, you need to do them, right? Because mm-hmm. they're urgent and important. The ones that are important but not urgent, those are your aspirations and your long-term plans. So what you do with these things is that you plan, you persevere with them, and this is how you kind of consider these things in your life. The things that are urgent but not important, those represent, you know, your reactive, um, it's like living on reaction mode. So any calls that you have to do, emails that you have to send, etc. You know, what you do with these things is you delegate as much as you can and you set boundaries. You try to limit them. And the things that are not urgent and not important, those are basically your time wasters. So you reduce them as much as you can. Mm -hmm. And if you can ignore them, then do that, you know. And going back to the previous analogy that we gave, the rocks, the pebbles, the sand and the water, these are the four of them. Um, So the rocks are basically the um, urgent, important. The pebbles are the important but not urgent. The sand are the urgent, not important. And then the water is the time wasters, which is the not urgent and not important. Yeah. So, yeah, and going back to the Pareto principle of 80-20, so 80% of results come from 20% of your actions. You can identify what those actions are and then prioritize those. So, you know, thinking about work and your relationships, your spirituality, hobbies, etc. Uh, you can write down your goals for your the day or the week. And you can ask yourself, if you could only accomplish one of the goals on that list today, which one goal would have the greatest positive impact on your life? Then pick the second most important goal. And what you'll find is after you complete this exercise, you will have determined the most important 20% of your goals that will help you more than anything else. And you should continue to work at those goals that you've chosen as the most valuable all the time. So it's a very good way of helping you manage your tasks in time 100 percent. and another very important principle is eating the biggest frog first you may have heard of this before you know the most valuable tasks that you can do each day are often the hardest and the most complex but the payoff and the rewards for completing them can be tremendous right so before you begin to work ask yourself is this task in the top 20% of my activities or in the bottom 80%, right? And the rule for this is resist the temptation to clear up the small things first. If you choose to start your day working on low value tasks, you will soon develop the habit of always starting and working on low value tasks. As Mark Twain says, eat a live frog first thing in the morning and nothing worse will happen to you the rest of the day. Which basically means that, you know, if you have a very daunting task do it first thing in the morning when you're really energized so that you can get it off of your to-do list and then once your energy starts dwindling you can focus on the low value tasks you know Mm -hmm. 
After deciding on the what, you know, what are the things that you need to prioritize and your to-dos and stuff, decide how you will keep your priorities for the day. And that involves, you know, what are the things that you're going to be skipping, the things that you'll be postponing, the things you'll be delegating so that you can get your focus, right? Focus on what is not going to be done, right? This is very important as well. How are you going to deal with distractions or interruptions during the day? Because these are going to happen, right? Anticipate any challenges that might come. And, you know, see how to make sure your tasks are going to get done by budgeting your time and respecting that time that you budget for these particular tasks. So these are all very important things. And after that, you know, you decide on how to make things run smoothly and to go about your day. And again, we'll add more resources in the episode description on focus and awareness and boundary setting for better time management. So make sure to check these out. And finally, I'd like to end with... A very simple and nice technique that I found to be very beneficial, and I'm sure that a lot of you have heard of this, which is the Pomodoro technique, which has been developed by Francesco Cirillo in Italy. And Pomodoro in in Italian is a tomato. And basically, it's a very simple method to balance your focus with deliberate breaks that you can um, put in your schedule. So the idea behind this technique is to plan your tasks and ask yourself how many Pomodoros might you need. And every Pomodoro or every tomato is actually... 25 minutes of focused work, no interruptions, plus five minutes of break. So you give yourself that that 25 minutes of no distraction, complete focus, working, and a five minutes after that for break. This 30 minutes in total is one Pomodoro, which is one tomato. And you don't skip the break at all. Like you have to actually have a break and not work in those five minutes. And then what you do is you repeat those four tomatoes. So that would be a total of two hours. And then you would take a long break after that. That long break can be 20 minutes, 30 minutes. You can do something fun. You can maybe stretch. You can have a nice snack. You can talk to a friend, whatever it is. And that is one way to divide your day. Obviously, it depends on you. There are so many different other techniques, but this is just one thing that has helped a lot of us. So maybe it can help you too. And moving on to a topic that I really like is morning routines. Yeah, uh, and I love talking about these because uh, I have long been challenged by having a good morning routine. Same. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, I'm, I'm trying. I've gone to a better place with them, mm-hmm. and uh, we'll share a lot of helpful tips with you actually about what what it should be or how it should be for you. So, I mean, first of all, it all depends on where you are in your life. And this is the most crucial thing. Um, You have to take into account, you know, where you are in your life, what your age, what responsibilities you have. uh, And and think about it as well from an Islamic lens. Clearly, we we pray Fajr and may Allah allow us to always pray Fajr on time and not miss it. Um, So there's this element of prayer um, for, you know, most of us, all of us. Uh, that we would take into account uh, and consider, and perhaps some of us uh, might be waking up to pray Qiyamul uh, Layl, the Hajjud. May Allah always give us that blessing as well. I mean, um, May Allah make us among those people. Yeah, well. I mean, so it's, uh, you know, there's lots of things that we need to consider. And the reason why we're talking about morning routines is because it actually sets the tone for the whole day. 
And subhanAllah, there's a hadith by the Prophet ﷺ. He said, Burika li ummati fi bukuriha, which means there's been a blessing in my, um, for my ummah in the early uh, hours of the day, mm. like waking up early and, and getting your work done early in the morning. It's associated with a lot of blessings, subhanAllah. And I, I'm sure that a lot of us can attest to that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, you know, we, we have a choice at the beginning of the day to, you know, set ourselves up for how the rest of the day will go. Mm-hmm. So we can choose to be in the driver's seat uh, and reorient ourselves uh, and allow us to be productive, uh, to set our own schedule and choose what to do rather than react to the day as it, as it unfolds. Right. You know, And having a good routine will help lower our stress, help us to accomplish more as well, uh, especially in the first hours of the morning uh, and also just in light of the hadith that you, you mentioned there. Mm-hmm. And then boost our motivation and just give us more focus overall. So again, like the the, re- the routine itself, what's in the routine needs to be based on where you are in your life and what works for you. Right. Um. You know, clearly, for example, someone who's a new parent, um, they have to consider their newborn, and uh, it may be that that newborn takes up much of that time. Mm-hmm. So I'm just giving that as an example. There is no one size fits all here. Is the point. So we shouldn't compare our routines. And um, there's lots of people who talk about their routines publicly. On You'll find loads of videos on YouTube, people like take you through their routines. Whilst that might be helpful to get ideas, uh, we should avoid doing a copy and paste job because For sure. people are at different places. But if we run through just a couple of things to consider as part of our routines, the first one is make sure we get enough sleep. This is foundational. Um, 70 hours of sleep uh you know everybody's different um as to what the optimal is but i mean i guess roughly 70 hours is, is typically what um is, is quoted as being the amount that we need to feel refreshed uh, to be physically and mentally recovered and it's very important to note that your body and brain needs sleep to recover uh, a lack of sleep for weeks and months has a huge effect to your overall health right uh, and you know, in order to help this, you can make your your bedroom a place where, you know, it's a sanctuary for you. It's a, an environment that's conducive to sleep and that relaxes you and soothes you and, you know, helps you fall asleep and, and, and helps you in that. And it's all you can also use um, tracking devices and apps. So phones do this. I think most phones do this by default. You can have, you know, different watches. That you can wear a smartwatch yeah yeah mm-hmm. you can walk, wear watches that help track your sleep um, and give you a better idea of how, how good your sleep is both from a length perspective but also quality perspective so and this was also spoken about in episode 46 right. uh, as part of the the bio aspect of healing complex trauma and mm-hmm. uh, the next thing is making your bed we we talked about this before right. um, <laughs> and it sounds so basic and it's what we tell children to do but it is such a simple but powerful way of setting the tone for the day. Right. Yeah. It, you know, um, you, you might not be aware of this, but there's an actual book about this called Make Your Bed. Uh, it was written by Admiral William H. McRaven. There's also a viral talk that he delivered on the topic all about right. making your bed and why it's important and so on. And we'll link to the, the video and the book in the episode description so you can check that out. Mm-hmm. But um, to cover this, you set yourself up for yourself and you accomplish something right at the beginning of the day. You build momentum and it's something that really is just for you. And it only takes a few minutes 
So, you know, it takes a few minutes to do. You accomplish a, cha- a task, a small win, right off the bat. Right. And it sets a good tone, you know, just to start your day. And, you know, you can, uh, your future self, you know, would be proud of you for doing something that your past self has accomplished. So it's it's putting into practice a lot of what we've talked about, this idea of delayed gratification. Mm-hmm. And it trains us up to do something consistently that will pay off, pay off later. So it's sim- simple, basic, but it, it works and it's powerful. Right. Uh, another thing is to drink water. So a glass of water in the morning hydrates and activates your brain. Don't drink coffee or tea first thing in the morning on an empty stomach. That is not a good idea. Uh, water is the best way um, to go with this. Um, working out. So this depends on you. Different people will do this at different times of day. I don't work out in the morning. I don't. I don't like doing that. But uh, for some people, that is good and it works. And that's perhaps the only time they can do it. Uh, we talked and mentioned about Lewis Howes. He has a podcast called School of Greatness. And he talks about workouts uh, being a safe place for us to implement structured pain, to experience structured pain. So pain that is in a controlled environment, mm-hmm. um, which helps us build confidence and momentum, cleanse our mind. Uh, and the benefits of physical exercise are felt in our mental space. It's it's quite phenomenal, actually. Um, and if we can do this in the morning, it's an amazing way to set the day up. Uh, the next is cold showers, and I talked about this, I think, in the previous episode. Uh, I'm a big advocate. This is a great way to activate your mind and uh, to make you feel alive instantaneously, yes. <laughs> especially if you're using cold, freezing water. It makes your body feel awake and alive, and it gives you focus, and there's um, lots of benefits to the immune system. Mm-hmm. This is well documented. Um, now, all that you really need to do is one to two minutes of cold exposure, so you don't have to push yourself to extreme extreme limits. And you could do that by just finishing the shower with cold water, for example. And that's something that I do regularly. So right. uh, it's, it's again, it's a very good way to have a sense of structured pain or discomfort right. that builds resilience. For sure. in you. And the more you do it, uh, the less reactive you'll be to the cold water. You'll actually start to build the resilience to it. Exactly. Uh, which is quite amazing to witness. Yeah. So it's a step-by-step thing for sure. And obviously, you know, it goes without saying that, you know, we make wudu, we pray fajr on time, inshallah. That That is also definitely part of the uh, morning routine. But I also like to add, um, you know, a lot of us would um, recite our morning adhkar as well um, and um, maybe have a morning word of Qur'an. Depends on each person's schedule and how busy uh, they are and how quick they have to leave the house. Um, but yeah, it's it's different between different people. But anyway, um, yep. I personally like to add an element of meditation early in the morning as part of my morning routine. A few minutes of breathing exercises and just, you know, conscious awareness, meditation, guided meditation. So to kind of just be in the in the um, present moment, to cultivate that state of awareness, and to also practice gratitude, it's uh, very, very important early in the morning. It just gives, you know, it, it centers us, it grounds us, and it just fills us with positivity, subhanAllah. And please, 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 probably you've heard this right and left, avoid opening social media and news first thing in the morning or your emails mm-hmm. and just, you know, drowning yourself with yep. messages and stuff. Just take time for yourself and be with Allah, be with yourself and, you, you know, just kind of recharge before you start your day, you know? 
Yeah, just to kind of center yourself and, you know, feel grateful, um, have some perspective, some focus, some positivity, and just remember that every breath you take is a step closer to our last breath. So that puts things in perspective and think about how you are going to use your day to, um, yeah, get closer to your goals, to get closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, to be the, the man or the woman that you want to be, that you've aspired to be. Um, yeah, just to make that day count, inshallah. And just set your intentions for the day, your goals, your vision, you know, the type of energy you want to show up with in your workplace or in your school, etc. Otherwise, you're just going to be reactive and take in other people's energies and their actions, right? So have that mindset of success, inshallah, and, you know, revisit that those goals that you have written down or that vision of your life. Um, you know, that mission that you have um, that you have for this month or this year. And set up your intentions for the day and be proactive and create rather than reacting to things. And think about, you know, try and envision how your day is going to be like. Have a clear schedule of how you are going to spend your time because time is a very valuable resource. It's a na'mah from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. What you're going to do, where you're going to be, when are you going to show up, how you are going to show up. This just gives you this gives you a sense of clarity to go about your day. And notice that if you do these things, of course, not all of them depends on how much you can do. But if you've done some of these things already, you have already accomplished so much in the morning by the time that you actually show up into work or to your studies. And again, don't throw everything on your plate at once. Just try two or three things and, you know, that take a few moments to accomplish. Think about them the night before. Be consistent. Take it one day at a time. Try it for seven days, be consistent for seven days, and then take it a step further after that. And it also helps to have an accountability partner who's also trying to build his or her morning routine in the morning to kind of check in with each other and to, you know, um, provide support for each other. And again, remember the 20-90 rule. Take it as a daily commitment and then it'll become, things will become habits. Just commit yourself on a consistent basis to achieving that. And don't skip what you're trying to accomplish for more than two days in a row. As Adam was saying before, you know, there is this, um, he has this rule of not skipping something for more than two days. And this was actually um, propagated by YouTuber Matt Devella in his two-day rule. And we'll add a link in the episode description also for you guys to check out. So this is basically just kind of um, a sketch of a morning routine that we hope, inshallah, uh, will help you um, on your journey of self-discipline and building habits. And the final part of our episode today is all about dealing with failure. So uh, it's as you know, as flawed humans, it's inevitable that sometimes we might not um, succeed in in always doing our habits, or uh, we might get tired or you know lazy or we might just we might fall off the the wagon so to speak mm -hmm. but it's important that we have a strategy in place so that we can deal with those situations right. and that we don't completely fall away from uh, our vision and the purpose that we have uh, outlined for ourselves so um to start off giovanni deanstman again from his book mindful self-discipline he says overcoming failure is about two different skills the first skill is preparing for failure so that it is less likely to happen. And if it does, you can recover quickly. The second skill is learning how to feel gracefully so that you don't fall into a pit of negative emotions such as shame, discouragement, self-loathing, or panic. Mm -hmm. So 
Preparing for failure, the first skill, is about having a contingency plan. So if this happens, then I will do that. Right. So for example, say your goal is to exercise daily for 30 minutes. What if you don't wake up on time and you've said you would do it in the morning? Well, then you would do it in the evening after work. Or I feel extremely tired, cut it in half, but do it nonetheless. I don't feel motivated. I'm not expecting motivation, therefore I'm going to do it anyway. Or what if, you know, my phone rings, leave it in airplane mode or call the person back at another time. So basically think of the obstacles on the way and create a contingency plan. And if this, then that, and revise it regularly. So what about the next skill, which is uh, failing gracefully? What what does that even mean? So this means that if we fail with whatever we're supposed to do, for example, failing a test, uh, doing some type of planning, life planning, a work assignment, perhaps we've relapsed on our recovery or so on, we would use the ALPHA method, A-L-F-A, the acronym ALPHA. Uh, We would acknowledge, learn, forgive, and act. And as we said before, shaming does not work. And we've spoken about this at great length in the podcast uh, across a number of different episodes. But to emphasize shaming, shaming ourselves and self-loathing, will not work it will not give us the change that we want and there's a difference between again guilt and shame guilt is i have done something wrong shame is i am wrong so we need to be mindful and guilt can be helpful uh, we can use it to do what we've said we can use it to acknowledge learn forgive and act shame is destructive it will it will drag us down so we have to be very weary of that for sure absolutely and so the alpha method briefly basically alfa so acknowledge learn forgive and act so by acknowledge you take ownership of what had happened without beating yourself up you describe it in emotionally neutral language Mm -hmm. so instead of saying ah i messed up again i'm such a failure and blah 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 you would say i chose to procrastinate And now the project is late, right? Just be neutral, be objective, and just describe what had happened and take ownership of that, right? So you acknowledge that. That's A. L is learn. So what can you learn about the situation and about yourself? What triggered you to act this way? What will you change so this doesn't happen again, Mm -hmm. right? So this is the learning part. F is to forgive. You know, remember that you are human. Release all the narratives of self-criticism and the shame and the blame. You made a mistake. You know, you feel guilty. That's healthy. And it's now in the past. If it's a sin, we make tawbah. We make true repentance to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We make amends with the people we have hurt if we have done so. And we move on right? Mm -hmm. We repair the damage if possible and we focus on being ready to move on and that is very important. And then A, which is act, you start again. Remember the importance of your goals, right? Gently but resolutely recommit to your goals and habits. Get up as many times as you fall. This is what really matters at the end of the day. Yeah. Your goals are more important than your failures. Remember why they really matter and know that everything else shall pass inshallah. And for inspiration, you can also read success stories of people who did what you are attempting to do and the failures that they faced along the way. And this would give you a lot of inspiration, right? Do whatever you need to do to move on from the self-pity stage. We, A lot of us engage in that. So you can once again be on the track with living your life that you choose, inshallah, that is in line with your values and your goals. And with 
this, we have come to the end of today's episode, which is part two on self-discipline. And we hope that you guys have enjoyed these two episodes and have found them beneficial, inshallah. In the next episode, Adam and I are going to be talking about self-esteem in a two-episode series, which will wrap up season four of the podcast. Uh, until then, stay safe and healthy. This has been Adam and Wahid Jensen in A Way Beyond the Rainbow. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi ta'ala wa barakatuh.